0: That is, you know, there's a responsible and an irresponsible way of um, doing coverage and and doing a century and a bunch of poets, and literature is irresponsible. So doing it the responsible way is kind of (laughs) going against um, what you should be doing. Um, And this isn't even a Dunnian paradox, it's just true. Um, A friend of mine, a friend of ours in grad school, uh, told us about taking a class from the great um, critic Paul Demont. turned out he was also a Nazi collaborator, but um, these things happen. Um, um, but he was um, a completely um, amazing um, deep thinker, and um, he was offering a course on um, Yeats, and um, it was a graduate seminar. It met thirteen times, two hours a week, um, for thirteen weeks. Uh, graduate students who were coming in to take a course on Yeats, and he thought that um, in preparation for their study of Yeats, they should read one of the poets um, who was most influential on Yeats. And in fact, um, the poem by this poet that probably influenced Yeats most. So the poet is Shelley. And the poem is The Triumph of Life. And um, so they spent um, the first part of the semester on The Triumph of Life. And then um, for the last week of the semester, they talked about two stories by Thomas Hardy. So the Yates course consisted of 12 weeks on Shelley's Triumph of Life and um, one week on two short stories by Thomas Hardy. Um, he kind and, of his um, <laughs> well, he was regarded as a god until he turned out to be an evil god, um, at least in his youth. He, he was kind of the opposite of um, Anakin Skywalker. He started out as Darth Vader. Um, well, no, people kind of thought of him as Darth Vader, um, but a better Darth Vader um, when he was 60. Um, but when he was 20... When he was 19 and 21, he was, um, he was never Anakin. I don't think he was ever Anakin. Unless you really hate Anakin. Um, no? He's the actor. Well, <laughs> yeah. So, what else is it? Which one? Little Anakin, or? No, it's like adolescent Hayden Christmas. Mm. Yeah, that's sad. Okay. <laughs> we were, um, in the middle of the ecstasy. Um, weren't you feeling it? I'm in the middle of ecstasy. Um, and so um, let's go on from there. I, and as I say, we're not gonna, we won't hurry. Um, next week, Shelley. Are we? you um, gonna
1: do Milton?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I am. I think we are. Yeah, no, no, I. Yeah, you should, you should. Uh, really, there should be an all Milton channel. Um, all Milton all the time. It's like you should just wander into, there should be a classroom where Milton is always being taught and which you can go to whenever you want, um, and um, life would be better for everyone if that were happening. Um, all right, am I going to try and say names? I think I am. So Tammy, um, Zach, Justy, uh, what's your name? Um, Qu- Qu- Professor Quinney. Um, Rhoda. Is that, am I pronouncing that right? Rhoda? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, and uh, Jackie. No. What what oh, I was doing this. The J gen- the, the J. It, the J- Jamie. J- yeah. <laughs> Jamie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. By Jackie I met Jamie. It's <laughs> it's like it's like James and Jack or something. I don't know. And now I'm screwing up. Um uh, out at Brandeis. Megan. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, Baruch, um, Sean, <laughs> Rachel, Rachel, okay, um, Abby, um, Taylor, um, Daniel, Han, and Grace. That That's not so bad. Idea. Anyone else do it?
2: Just the further you got away from you, In people closest to you remember their names better.
1: Oh.
0: I don't think that's true. I mean, it's the people who are at the other end of the table are the people I can see most clearly. It's not. And Tammy usually sits there, right? Yeah, I (laughs) was late. See, the only reason she's she's sitting close up is because she's late. Otherwise, get away from us. Okay. Um, So what we were talking about is um, what's going on in the ecstasy. Um, which is that um, Dunn is addressing someone um, and um, he's doing, we talked a little bit about the the, um, coming of third persons into his poems. Um, The um, someone who could notionally be there, what someone would think if they saw them. Um, Or someone that he would address and ask um, to help him. Um, Or the flea. Or, um, in some sense, the idea of a poem of complaint in Dunn. um, And he does complain a lot, as poets do, um, (laughs) about love. But the idea of a poem of complaint in Dunn, um, they seem unusually... Um, for I mean, if you say that love poems are often poems of complaint, um, um, and if you think that what complaint means um, literally is a desire, it means feeling feeling sorrow with is the literal um, meaning of complaint. That's the common complaint. Um, that usually poems of complaint are. Um, I love you so much but you're really mean to me um, and look how sad that makes me so you should feel sorry for me feel sorrow with me um, because then that would be good um, because then you would show me some comfort and love um, so generally the complaints and poems of complaint are either um, in some, some real or perhaps not real, unreal sense um, addressed to the person that the lover is complaining about Um, that is um, look how sad I am look therefore at how deep I am and therefore love me Um, (laughs) and um, Dunn's poems of complaint generally don't quite take that form they're basically look how sad I am Um, you third person learn a lesson from this and um, we can agree that uh, women are just that's what they're like and there's nothing we can do about it um, but they tend not to be um, In any obvious way Gestures of pleading with um, The um, person who is, who is um, Making him sorrowful And um, that's one way That the figure of a third person The figure of the reader Or more accurately the addressee of a poem um, Isn't so much um, The woman he's in love with in a lot of these poems of complaint as it is in most poems of complaint about love um, and so again that's just something to um, have in mind is that sense of um, third figures within Dunn's poems um, third um, ideas of, of that the speaker himself has of their being read by someone else, of there being someone else who is thinking about and judging the situation. Um, If you're keeping up with the reading, which of course you are, um, there's the poem The Relic. Uh, Do people remember that one, what that's about? Um, So that's if you see, we don't have to go to it, but it's about finding a, a bracelet of hair about the bone, a bright circle of hair about the bone, And that if someone um, dug up their grave, they would find this. So there again is this idea of someone finding um, the dead body, the skeleton, and seeing the relic. Um, If you think of the canonization, which is one of the most famous Dunn poems, um, and which we may or may not get to. Um, But again, there's this idea that people will look at the two of them. And um, canonize them and think of them as saints But there's an audience of want-to-be lovers Who will look at them as the pattern of all lovers So he's always offering either himself or her Depending on whether, you could say Depending on whether it's a happy poem or an unhappy poem He's always offering either himself or the two of them together the idea of someone um, judging them, having ideas about them, agreeing with them, celebrating them, or agreeing with him um, about what women are like. Um, And that thirdness in Dunn's poetry, I think, is just a really interesting thing to observe. Um, In a sense, it um, makes him, it's part of that sense we have of him as modern. which is that he has a really strong sense of um, self-consciousness in his poetry writing. His speakers are self-conscious. It's not only, um, you know, poets are always self-conscious. They're always thinking about what um, they're doing um, and aware of the effects that um, they either want or maybe more generally the effects they don't want. Um, But Dunn makes his speakers as self-conscious as he is, as self-monitoring, as as aware of um, how he's coming off, um, as he the poet is. So are his speakers. Um, And, you know, I'm not sure I have a, a great way to describe this, but it's just something, I think, to sensitize yourself to just because it does feel... Um, that that's part of what in Dunn leads through T.S. Eliot um, to a whole lot of the way 20th century English poetry works, to a whole lot of the way modern poetry works. I and mean, I, I hope you feel, if this is, I know for a lot of you it's not your first time reading Dunn, um, but um, whether it's your first time or not, um, I hope you feel that it's really strange that this is a 17th century poet. Um, we don't feel like we're reading... Um, Shakespeare or um, Johnson or any of the other seventeenth-century poets. There's um, the the amount of just intellectual difficulty in interpreting <clears throat> Dunn where um, the intellectual difficulty is not um, that the um, thoughts not it's not the difficulty quite of tracing where his thoughts are going as. Um, being surprised that he's thinking all these unpoetic things within his poems, um, that he's writing poems about unpoetic things. You know, if you think of um, of Marian Moore, for example, as in some ways um, a uh, absolutely representative modern poet, um, part of what makes her so representative are her unpoetical um, um, subjects. Uh, her poem he she has a poem called He Digesteth Hard Iron um, or a- actually that's the epigraph to the poem He Digesteth Hard Iron and it's a poem about ostriches um, and uh, she read somewhere in some 17th century actually in some 17th century work that um, some naturalist thought that ostriches could eat iron um, and um, so you know it's not like oh my god I have to read that that is just going to fill me with, with passion and melancholy and a strange sort of um, Oneness with the emptiness of the universe—it's <laughs> like, well, that that was interesting, um, but that's what Dunn is always doing. That's part of what leads to modernity, um, in the hands of someone like Eliot. Um, so that's just, as I say, something to be sensitized to—is the—is the, is his constant knowledge of the work that he's doing um, in his poems and the the strenuousness of um, poems where a more general, um, and you'll find this in Dunn sometimes also, but maybe you could say that a more general, um, unspoken, unarticulated theory of poetry up through the 20th century is that poetry should always be easy. Um, Now, by easy, I don't mean that it should be easy. That is, that um, Shakespeare thought you would read a Shakespeare sonnet and you would say, well, that was easy. to quote Staples <laughs> if you digest hard iron you probably spend some time getting Staples um, but easy in the sense that when you get it um, when you've done the work of understanding a poem it reveals itself to you as something that you can now absorb wholly um, can make yours in some, in some complete way and um, that's, I don't think that's ever true about done and that's never a goal um, for Dunn, um, that's the um, the Coleridgean idea of wreathing iron pokers into true love knots, um, they're always iron pokers you always feel the stress and the strain there, not always but, um, but in the poems that are that are really um, energetic, Herbert you will find on the whole is easy um, that is Herbert, although he's um, very very much in Dunn's mode and very very much um, Looking at um, where a metaphor can take you, um, his poems have um, just a kind of um, uh, luminous beauty, um, certainly as greatest poems do, have a luminous beauty that um, you will find in moments in Dunn, but very rarely in a full poem by Dunn. Um, and we'll look at Love's Alchemy as an example of this in a minute. But to get back to the ecstasy, so Um, there he and she are and to some extent he is um, um, describing what they've done Um, and I think what's really in a sense interesting about this is um, maybe a way to put it would be to say that there's a grammatical point that's interesting here so do people, anyone take French or Spanish? so okay um
1: yeah, I also took Spanish. Okay.
0: <laughs> um, so do you know the two versions of the first person plural?
1: I two do. ways that you could, you could say person we. That sounds familiar. Nosotros
3: <laughs> and Nos, also.
0: Yeah. Well, that's second person. But nosotros and and the other is us all. So there's basically there's um, in Spanish and in French, um, you can say we but not you. That is, we are very disappointed with how you've done on your exam. Um, and um, there can also be we, all of us. So if you say something like, you know, we are a poor and um, confused and ignorant species. Um, it's not that we are, but you guys, you know. <laughs> you guys are so much luckier because, um, um, because you came of age in the 21st century. Um, but there's also the "we" as in um, we don't look with um, approval upon students who um, uh, don't major in English. and then we would be um, we would be talking about us, not you, um, and it's what what a plurality that I belong to thinks about people. Um, that are not part of that plurality so it's, it's us others um, that's called the exclusive we in grammar um, versus the inclusive we which is all of us um, you know, so, so um, what Dunn is doing here you could almost say is playing with that, um, with, with that distinction uh, because the we here Um, is he's saying, you and me, that is, it's the inclusive we. She and I, you and me. Um, So there's the inclusive we. But he's also really trying to say, um, I'm the person who is um, the one who has the authority to say what's gone on. Um, So I'm the one who is speaking... Um, we aren't speaking I am speaking but what I am saying is that everything that I say is actually what we are saying so um, he's both he's both a singular and a plural speaker um, simultaneously and that's what the poem's partly about Um, so that's why to go back to to something that we went over a little bit but just to get us a running start Um, if any this is line 21 uh, we said nothing all the day um, that is neither of us said anything uh, and we said nothing all the day but then that enables him now to talk about them him singular to talk about them plural as those who would speak or not speak if any so by love refined that he soul's language understood and by good love were grown all mind Within convenient distance stood he Though he knew not which soul spake because both meant, both spake the same, might thence a new concoction take in part far purer than he came. So from us he might take a new concoction. This ecstasy doth unperplex we said and tell us what we love. Um, so the ecstasy with which we're together unperplexes us and tells us what it is that we love. We see by this it was not sex, we see, we saw not what did move. So, we now see that um, we were wrong about what moved us because we thought it might be um, sex, but now we see that we didn't see what did move. But as all several souls contain mixture of things, they know not what. Love, these mixed souls doth mix again and make both one, each, this and that. So each of us is the other. Each one is this one, each one is that one. This one is that one, that one is this one. A single violet transplant, the strength, the color, and the size, all which before was poor and scant, redoubles still and multiplies. When love with one another so inter an- inanimates two souls, that abler soul. Which then stuff flow, that is the soul made up of the two souls that have been inter inanimated, defects of loneliness controls. We then so that's as far as we got on Tuesday now, we then, who are this new soul, know of what we are composed and made, for the atomies of which we grow are souls whom no change can invade. So We're now aware we've been joined together, um, and we are made of atoms, but atoms that are joined together. So just quickly so you understand the um, wrong chemistry of this, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, the difference between atoms and compounds was simply not a known thing until the end of the 18th century. Um, So that's like we know there are atoms and there are molecules and that they are different things, and water is H2O, et cetera. what we should probably say here is that um, m- what he means by atoms, we would now mean by molecules. Um, and that therefore, what we are composed of, we are so combined, we, have, we are now compounded of each other. And we have become beings made of the same molecules. Um, and therefore, now that we are completely uh, made up of the same things, of the same molecules, Um, um, those molecules are souls um, and nothing they are now constitute or describe what our soul is and nothing can enter them or change them Um, but oh alas so there's that turn the word but is always a word to notice at the beginning of any poetic line or at least at the beginning of any sentence that also begins a line or a stanza um For example, <laughs> um,
3: the line
0: from Stevens that uh, we were talking about. Yeah, there's a um, a great one line Ashbery poem. Ashbery had a book where he had four one line poems, um, where the titles really mattered. Um, so there's a the title of the poem is, I had thought things were actually going along pretty well. That's the title. <laughs> I had thought that things were actually going along pretty well. And then the whole poem I will now recite for you is But I Was Mistaken. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, always notice a but. Um, but let them um, sleep and me mourn a space. But oh, alas, so long, so far, our bodies, why do we forbear? So, um, here we are, and it's great, and I'm really, really glad that we're out of our bodies and just speaking together. Um, but uh, why do we forbear our bodies? They are ours, though they are not we. We are the intelligences, they the sphere. So um, we're the, our bodies are ours, and here he's playing again with this question of what does ours mean? Uh, we are the intelligences, they the sphere. Here, Anyone know what he's talking about there when he says that? Grace?
2: Wasn't there like a belief that like spirits made the universe move? Uh-huh. So? Yes.
0: So the idea is that there are this, the different spheres, uh, astronomical spheres, um, the sphere of the moon, the sphere of the sun, the sphere of the planets, and the sphere of the, um, of the fixed stars and that the spheres are always rotating around the Earth. Dunn knew this wasn't true, by the way. Dunn was really interested in the new astronomy um, and in Copernicus, and he knew, he did not believe in a geocentric universe, but he will still use it as an image. Um, And, in fact, Dunn is one of the first people to wonder if there's life on other planets, um, and that's something he talks about, is um, the possibility that there is life on other planets. Um, other intelligences other other um, beings who are intelligent and who are living their lives out on other planets um, but here the idea is that um, if you've heard the phrase the music of the spheres the idea is the spheres are moving in a kind of harmony with respect to each other and um, that gives them that means there's some intelligence associated with them and those intelligences are like the angels or the Um, spirits um, that are that are moving each sphere they get names sometimes like Venus or Mars Um, that is the names of Greek or Roman mythological figures so the intelligences move the spheres the spheres are beautiful Um, the reason for this is that you can only tell where the sphere is by the planet or star that is marking it otherwise the spheres are invisible but they, but they're sort of a transparent um, body with stars or planets um, um, scattered on that body. So if you watch the star, you can see the turning of the entire sphere. Um, so we're like the stars, and our bodies are like the spheres. Um, so they are ours, though they are not we. We are the intelligences; they, the sphere. We owe them thanks that is the spheres, because they thus did us to us at first convey. So what does that mean about bodies? The
3: first thing that can convey an idea
0: to you OK. So they did that, but there's also a much more, you're using you're thinking of convey metaphorically, um, but there's a much more literal meaning of convey. Sorry? Sorry? Yeah. yeah.
1: Each
2: other? Like, they, they, that's how they saw each other? Or were
0: they, attracted yeah, to each other? Attracted to each other. Here, I think you guys are still thinking of spheres, which is fine, but think of it as bodies now. Oh,
2: um, how they had sex yeah. Well, they haven't had sex they yet.
0: Had. That's part of the problem. The problem. Um, <laughs> for done. Um, no, they brought us to each other. You know, the way you would convey, you know, you... We, we talk about conveying news or conveying ideas, but um, we also talk about conveyances as being like trucks and buses. Um, the general term for that is conveyances. They're just something that carries, um, um, carries um, a load, carries a charge from one place to another. Um, that's what a conveyor belt is, something that conveys um, um, stuff down a factory line. So we owe our bodies thanks... <coughs> Not because they're, you know, bodies, um, but because they brought us to each other. Now, notice he's kind of set that up with the maybe slightly fishy idea of um, the third person who um, within convenient distance stood. That is, that makes that third person physical who might hear what they're saying. So they're supposedly not speaking at all um, because they've transcended physical bodies. And yet, the person so by love refined that he souls' language understood and by good love might have been grown all mind if such a person within convenient distance stood. So suddenly it turns out he has to be kind of close to them to hear what their souls are saying. And so what Dunn is doing, which is fine, I mean, it, it doesn't mean that, that he's um, uh, being overly sly, but what he's doing is saying um, there is real space, real the real physical world. Souls belong to that the way intelligences belong to spheres, um, but real physical distance, distance in the real physical world, matters as to whether you can hear what someone else is saying, whether this person can hear what we're saying, Um, It really mattered that our bodies brought us together. We couldn't simply be souls speaking um, at a distance of 12,000 miles, the way whales can communicate um, over 12,000 miles. Um, We had to be together. So um, the physical fact of our bodily proximity makes it possible for our souls, for us to be in love with each other, for our souls to get together, for us to have this ecstasy. Um, nevertheless, the physical fact is necessary And that's what he's, the idea that he's um, advancing here um, We owe them thanks because they thus did us To us at first convey Yielded their forces sense to us Nor are dross to us but allay So our bodies brought us together then they gave us, our souls, their forces um, Which again seems to be something like Our passion for each other Physical passion now turned into mental passion um, And our bodies are not dross But allay What does that mean? So what do you think allay means? What, what would the modern word be? To allay someone's fears um, No, because it's a noun So what noun would you might... What does dross mean? Do people know what that means literally? How about figuratively?
2: It's like the dregs or sediment or um, detritus or something.
0: Right. Um, So figuratively, that's what it is. Literally, it's a particular um, thing that is being uh, taken away, separated out, like, like sediment or detritus um, or whatever um, but in a very particular process does anyone know where you would find dross if you were an engineer where you'd use that word well I already know you don't know um, in, um, in um, combining molten <coughs> metal so to make steel there will be dross that is dross is the part in molten metal that you want to skim away so that the metal is pure if you want to make 24 karat gold Um, another thing you might do is you might um, melt gold which is combined with other stuff and the dross is even metallic stuff that you take away from it so dross is what's left over when you're purifying metal so if that's the case what do you think allay means as a noun it's very similar to the modern word but it's not spelled quite the same way An an alloy yeah All right. So just as steel is an alloy, as I'm sure you all recall, (laughs) of iron and nickel and coke, a little bit of coal, Um, what he's saying is alloys are good. Um, Dross is bad. And if you think of the body as dross, it's, yeah, our souls are together. Now now, Now God or the universe can skim our bodies away because our souls have finally combined. You know, and he's using a lot of chemical or metallurgical um, ideas here our, our molecules combine Our souls combine The bodies can be taken away But he says no They're not dross They're an alloy They combine with our souls So if our souls are united And our bodies are part of the alloy that comes together In this whole combination um, That's very different from if they're dross Um, And then he points out On man Heaven's influence works Not so Works not so there, the so doesn't refer To anything um, except The um, difference uh, Grammatically it's a little Bit hard so I just want to explain it to you Um, It's The real phrase is so but That is the only way That heaven's influence works So So on man, heaven's influence works only by first imprinting the air. So, so but means something like only. Um, on man, heaven's influence works not so, but that it first imprints the air. So, soul into the soul may flow, though it to body first repair. So, when God influences us, his influence comes through the air. Um, the air itself is um, bearing the influence like um, waves of light. Um, or when the stars influence us, because there's the astrological um, um, uh, resonance where he's talking about the intelligence of the spheres, the stars and the, and the spheres um, influences what stars do. To us, That's what astrology is, is the influence of the stars um, But they go through the air And there's a theory here of how vision works um, Which is that what vision does is it propagates itself um, Through the air that it goes through So that the air takes on colors as the thing that you're seeing um, Comes to your eye they're shadows of itself, uh, masks of itself that go through the air and then eventually hit your eye. Um, that theory of vision turns out to be false. Um, but it's, our modern version of this would be how sound works. That is, what you hear when you hear a sound is, um, I do this, and that causes a vibration in the air, which then propagates through the air as vibration, and it's not that somehow you're directly hearing that What you're hearing is what that does to the air As the air, um, as it propagates through the air to your ears So that theory of sound was also the theory of sight that Dunn had And so his idea basically is that even when heaven influences you Through God, but God is the, um, um, the mover of the stars So through the heavens as the place of the stars. When we see the stars, when we look up to heaven, uh, there's a propagation through the air of the images that we're seeing. Um, Put in the shortest possible sense, it's that um, what comes to our mind, what belongs to our minds and souls, comes to them through the senses. That is, comes to us through a physical process. And what's physical becomes mental or psychic. Um, Psyche, of course, means the soul so it becomes soulful so he points this out on man heaven's influence works not so but that it first imprints the air so in the same way soul into the soul may flow though it to body first repair um so souls can join each other even if they have to do it through physical means so soul into the soul may flow just to make sure you're on the same page here, which soul would be doing the flowing and which soul would um, it be flowing into in the two of them once they repair to bodies?
1: Flowing into them.
0: I don't think so. No. (laughs) The flow is coming from... So they become bodies. Sorry? Now the abler soul is the two souls together. He's not claiming he's the abler soul. Um, He's saying that our two souls together make one abler soul. But then he says, but, you know, um, bodies are okay, too. Um, And one way that we can tell that they're okay is they brought us together so that our souls could come together. And another way we can tell they're okay is that we hear the word of God and we see the stars and all of that comes through physical means. Um, he doesn't quite say that but that's close enough um, and in the same way it's okay for, for souls to join in a different way besides just sitting on a bank where the violets are growing um, yeah yeah so um, those of you who have taken class from me before know that there are two basic go-tos that you can always do with poetry um, as, as first approximations one is to say that a line is self-describing, or a poem, or an image, or a stanza, or whatever, and the other is to say it's about sex. Uh, uh, yes? Um, What's your name? Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, I don't want to derail you, so you just... just no, go ahead. ...if you want to, but it's interesting to me, I think that he's he's doing... I think he seems to do in other places, which is to cross the sort of sexual speculation with theological discourse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there was a, there's a real issue in... Christian theology about how to, well obviously how to understand the soul, the of soul the body, but particularly how to justify the existence of the body. Yes. Um, and uh, the the Christians didn't want to be like the Gnostics who said there's really the body was created by an evil God um, and, uh, and um, the soul was trapped in the body. And... There's this. There really is a distinction between the soul and the body in Christian theology, but a lot of theologians are working to so, to figure out a role for the body yeah. um, in salvation. Um, and um, you know, this is well. This is Aquinas's big contribution is to explain why the, having a body actually helps the development of the soul and isn't just a hindrance. Um, Why? <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Well, um, you know, because it doesn't seem on the face of it that uh, the body is anything but a clock um, in the way that the Christians think. Okay, so I'll I, I try to say this quickly, but um, what, one, um, the reason that at the last judgment we are going to be reunited with our body is that they're not just a dress for the soul. They're actually part of our identity. And um, a human being isn't a complete human being without a body. Uh, so... Um, a man
0: is not a man without a body. <laughs>
3: yeah. right. Yeah, no, yeah. Uh, um, and I think essentially the idea is you can't have experience without a body. Yeah. Um, that's basically it. That... Um, the, the soul is a, a you know, a. Um, the soul has to grow. Yeah. And it can't grow even in the world without um, the experiences that are um, made possible by and
0: And that's um, why you to your scattered bodies go.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, since this is of course undone, that's in a way what Yeats is. Um, disagreeing with in the um, the yellow hair poem mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, what is it crazy Jane of the Bishop is that uh, whatever um, only God my dear can love you for yourself alone and not your yellow hair mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah and, and um, there is there's also the question of um, can you learn love without um, loving another human being right someone embodied mm-hmm. um, the body dies the body's beauty lives um, as Stevens says, okay, yeah. So well,
3: anyway, but my point was just that that he's doing what Han called in one class, skirting, skirting the shores of heresy. Yes, <laughs> I mean taking this very, um, you know, deep and and significant theological discourse and working it into a, a, a defense of sex. Yes, <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Um. As, <laughs> yeah. He
3: had like ahead. 12 children, didn't he?
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. How many
1: different mothers? One. Oh, one. Only yeah, one. yeah, yeah. That's the.
0: <laughs> so, um, so, soul into the soul may flow, though it's a body first repair. That is, um, so, you know, even if the way the flowing works, is physical flowing of one soul into another um, That's okay It's still, you know, something very soulful about that um, It's a beautiful thing, I think um, So soul into the soul may flow Though to body first repair As our blood labors to beget spirits As like souls as it can Um, You're the one who has a different edition, is that right, Zach, or... No, who had... Oh, no, it was you. Yeah, so what's your footnote on that? On? On, um, as our blood labors to beget spirits as like souls as it can. That's really stupid again. Medical opinion
2: held that three types of spirits, animal, vital, natural, were subtile substances of an aerial nature made of the lightest part of the blood which governs the body and all its parts. Yeah,
0: okay. So that explains it. Um, I think the basic idea, um, maybe gotten from the idea of alcohol, is that, um, is that there are these, um, you know, people knew about spirits and knew that there, there were these volatile substances that could affect you. Um, and the idea is that moods and emotions partly came from what was going on in your blood and, and what was arising from them. So it's as though the blood, um, you know, again, a modern version of this would be something like hormones in the way that blood, um, carries and, and, um, different glands produce hormones which affect how you feel and, um, and what your moods are. Um, so they can affect your spirit. Blood does that. Um as our blood labors to beget spirits as like souls as it can, um, that is something that will interact with us as souls, because such fingers need to knit that subtle knot which makes us man. That is, um, what makes us human is is the biological function of the blood, but that biological function has... Neurological consequences So just think of neurotransmitters Coming from blood Something like that Um, So In the same way That in order to become human The physical blood has to Spiritualize in certain ways So must pure lover's souls Descend To affections And to faculties Which sense may reach And apprehend so the body now becomes um, the place where the most physical animal parts, animal in the sense of brutish, beastly, um, parts of humanity combine with the most spiritual parts, and that's the subtle knot that makes us man. So that's, that's, I think you're right that that's an example of the idea that, yeah, you need a body. And you can tell that you need a body because the body works upwards. What's purely physical works upwards, to um, emotional, mental, um, and psychic um, uh, realms. Um, And what that suggests is it's in the place where um, the body aspiring upwards to the spiritual, the spirit joining the body at that place and nodding itself into humanity at that place, that's what makes us human and therefore our spirits should go back to our bodies. Um, Pure lover's souls, that is, the purity of our souls, must descend to affections. That is, here it means both to physical love but also to simply physical experience. Um, We talked about um, affect as meaning to love, but but this also has a little bit more of the modern sense of being affected by something. Um, a soul isn't affected by cold but unless it's in a body it can feel cold Um, so um, pure lover souls must descend to affections and to faculties which sense may reach and apprehend Um, that is uh, to an experience of the world that we can have through our senses and not only through our minds otherwise else a great prince in prison so what would the prince be and what would the prison be? The soul and the body? Yeah. So if the soul and the body don't unite, then what you would have is simply the soul entombed in the body or imprisoned in the body um, instead of being fully um, part of the body and being, and being, being a single or, or a, a combined being of body and soul.
3: Oh, I just wanted to add that that metaphor of the soul imprisoned in the body or entombed in the body goes all the way back not only to Plato but before him to the poets. It's a very old, and it's that particular language. Uh-huh. The soul is imprisoned in the body, this kind of cruel fate, yeah. um, a, 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 a pointless, um, um, uh, purgatorial, um, prolonged. Yeah. In an alien
0: element. <coughs> yeah, so that would be bad <laughs> um, But luckily there's a better way To our bodies turn we then And uh, the we there is now turning into the separate we That is, we're, let's separate off into our bodies um, To our bodies turn we then That so, weak men on love revealed may look um, so now there's an, so there might be this person who is so purified by love that if he stands within convenient distance he could hear what our souls are saying simultaneously in one voice because we are one um, but it's also really important that weak men um, or it could be weak men that is um, all men are weak um, that is it could be the um, adjective is epithet Or it could be a distinguishing adjective. Um, Do people know the difference between that? Um, That is that sometimes an adjective goes with a noun as a way of just reminding us what is already implicit in the noun. You know, um, think of um, Isabella in measure for measure, but man, proud man, wrapped in a little weak authority. And she's not saying, yeah, you know, there are humble men who aren't like that. Um, She's saying, you know, Um, if I say man, I'm always mean, this ridiculously proud being. Um, But there's also um, um, just, uh, they're weak men and they're strong men. Um, You know, tall trees and short trees. So you don't say, oh, tall trees. Um, (laughs) What you say is, yeah, I saw some tall trees. Um, um, And uh, this frequently is used for dog whistling um, in politics, that is, um, if people can plausibly deny that the adjective they're using is meant to apply to an entire class of people. So if you talk about, um, this is not where it usually happens, but if you talk about, you know, um, idiotic tea-, tea Party members, and yeah. someone says, I take exception, um, then I can say, oh, no, I just meant the idiotic Tea Party <laughs> members, you know, the one or two of them who are idiotic, the smart Tea Party members. that They're great. Um, so... Um, That's um, the question here, and in a way it's a question like the question about the we. Um, That is, are all men weak, or is it that certain men who are weak um, need this? Um, And I think the answer is yes, it's both. Um, So to our bodies turn we then that so weak men, I doubt he's thinking we and weak, but it's at least helpful to notice that, um, so that weak men on love revealed may look love's mysteries and souls do grow but yet the body is his book um so it's souls that really matter to love but um the body is his book why is that so um apt a metaphor just unpack that metaphor love's mysteries and souls do grow but yet the body is his look, is his book <clears throat>
1: The body is like the medium by which the soul
2: interacts. So it's like the, like
0: a book. The medium by which you get like the emotions that the author's trying to emit. Okay. Yeah.
2: But so al- yeah, good. also, I mean the book is the, the the record of the growth.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. And in a sense, it's I think it's all those things. That is, so first of all the metaphor is you get an idea and you think it through and then you write it down. So Um, what it is that you're going to write, the poem that you write, the um, essay that you write, the sermon that you write, um, you put it in a book. So the book is, Milton is going to say something similar, the book is the record of what the soul has done. The book is the physical place where you can eternize the thinking that the soul has done. But it's also the place where others can read it. Um, So the body is his book can mean both the book that the soul writes its ideas in and a book that a soul can come to to learn those ideas. So the soul there can be either the writer or the reader in those two lines. Love's mysteries and souls do grow, but yet the body is his book. You may need to read the book in order to learn about love, or you may need to write the book in order to write about love. Um, to quote Stuart Murdoch so there again he's giving an account of the body which makes it holy or semi-holy that is it is the body it's physical but um, it's a book so it's necessary so and if some lover such as we have heard this dialogue of one so um Notice that he's trying the inclusive we again, a dialogue of one. Um, We talking in one voice of ourselves to each other, to ourselves. And if some lovers such as we have heard this dialogue of one, let him still mark us, that is, if he keeps watching us, put the case, hypothesize that he's still marking us, um, let him still mark us, he shall see small change when we're to bodies gone. So, um, when we become physical again and no longer sit on the bank but stretch out and lie down and have sex, um, there'll really be very little change because that's what we've been doing with our souls anyhow. Um, all our bodies are doing when we have sex is making clear, um, for weak men including people like us because we too belong to that weak species humanity Um, what um, our souls were doing so um, is it a do you think it's a more or less effective um, have sex with me poem than the flea
1: I think it's more effective
0: do you? Yeah. why?
1: well I guess it's more of an art the flea is more of a like Look, look at me. I'm witty. This is more of a like, like oh, like no, it's not about me. It's like oh, you have sex with people that you love. The fleece. No so I guess it's a different argument. Yeah, I feel like the is is An
2: argument for someone to sleep with him, like, like I don't know, for a night, and like whereas like, <laughs> this is what no, seriously, like this is like why we should be in a relationship <laughs> that is sexually active. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, and.
1: 'Cause like with the flea I could be like, oh you're witty, but I don't want to affect you just because <coughs> like, uh-huh. they're already in
2: love. Yeah. Yeah, this does seem to have more of a yeah. history to it. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Um Okay. It's <laughs> um well, yeah, there does seem to be a history. It's inter- it w- it might be interesting to figure out what that history is. Um the extent to which that history is um what we have is is her saying to him, "What we have is too great for to besmirch it with any physical contact," um, and then here's an argument for why it's not besmirching it, but um, exactly the right thing to do. I mean, that's a possible backstory. Um, I want us to look at Love's Alchemy, but just very quickly look at um, the poem called uh, "Break of Day." Um, you like it? I like memorize it when I read it. I love
2: it. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. You do it without finding it? Oh, God. Um, yeah. I, can you give me the first word? Tis true? Um, oh, no, is this not the one that's, like, five lines? No. no. So, <laughs> okay. all right. That's all you memorized. Yeah. 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 <laughs>
0: no, no, I remember So page 102 of the Oxford.
2: <clears throat> I was thinking... Stay fair, sweet, and do not um, rise. The light that comes shines from thine eyes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Go. Um, the light that shines comes from thine eyes. Um, stay or else my joys will die and perish in their... Uh, that's the last one. See, didn't just shoot it out. The day breaks not, it is my heart, because that you and I must part. Stay or else my joys will die and perish in their infancy.
0: All right. Nice. All right, break of day. Um, Taylor, you look like you want to read it. (laughs) Yay, I (laughs) knew you did.
2: Break of
3: day. Tis true, tis day, what though it be, O wilt thou therefore rise from me? Why should we rise, because tis light? Did we lie down, because night? Love which in spite of darkness brought us hither, should in despite of light keep us together. (coughs) Light hath no tongue, but is all I, If it could speak as well as spy, this were the worst, that it could say, that being well, I fain would stay, and that I loved my heart and honor so, that I would not from him that had them go. Must business leave him hence remove, remove? Oh, that's the worst disease of love, the poor, the foul, the false. Love can admit, but not the believe man. He which hath business and makes love doth do such wrong as when a married man doth
0: do. All right, so who's the speaker? All right, let me ask this much easier question. Who isn't the speaker?
3: <laughs> so, done.
0: Done, right. <clears throat> How do we know?
1: Because the speaker is a woman.
0: Yes. Um, so, what's the backstory? There's like a woman. Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> one, like, she lives in her shoes. She's no like, She's
1: <laughs> with this guy,
0: but he's always busy. Well, or at right. least he's busy right now. He's
1: busy right now. She wants him to stay in bed. He's like, no, I have stuff to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, so, tis true, tis day. So, um, what time of day? Morning. 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 Yeah, it's the next morning, basically. Uh, break of Day tells you that also, It's the title. Tis true, tis, tis day, so what? What though would be? Oh wilt thou therefore rise from me? So you're getting up because it's morning? What's up with that? Uh, why should we rise because tis light? Did we lie down because t'was night? Meaning, did they lie down because it was night? Um, no. Probably not. No. No, if... If that's what's causing their rising and setting, then it makes sense to get up when it's morning and to go to bed when it's night. But they didn't go to bed because it was night. Why did they go to bed? For other reasons. I mean, this is, this is a G-rated class. So, um, but for other reasons. Um, so why would you get up just because it's light? You didn't lie down. We didn't lie down together because it was night. Um, love, which in spite of darkness brought us hither, that is, we came together despite the fact that it was dark, not because it was dark, should, in despite of light, keep us together. So because we didn't care that it was dark, uh, we still went um, to lie down together. We shouldn't care that it's light either. Um, Then she calls upon light itself um, to back her up. Here's one of those third parties. Light hath no tongue, but is all eye. If it could speak as well as spy, so, if, so light can see us lying here together, and you trying to get up, um, and here's what light would say, um, light who can see everything would say about what it sees. If it could speak as well as spy, this were the worst that it could say, this is the worst thing light could say, that being well, I fain would stay. So the worst thing that Light could say about me, it turns out, is that um, I'm happy and want to stay in bed with you and that I loved my heart and honor so that I would not from him that had them go. So what's the implication? What is Light not saying? Um, And what is she insisting Light would not say about her heart and her honor? That it wants him to go I don't think so What's the What do you think So basically light. She's saying If light That sees everything Were to gossip That's essentially What she's saying If light um, Had a tongue um, And um, Spoke about what it knew Because it's Spying into this bedroom Um <clears throat> what is it that someone wrongly might think Light would be able to say? So it's, Light might say wh- bad things, right? This is the worst that it could say. That's partly why we get the sense that Light might be a malicious gossip um, looking to say bad things. Taylor?
3: That she gave him her heart and honor?
0: Yeah, that, mm-hmm. that uh, she went to bed with this guy um, and dishonored herself by doing it. Um, she fell in love with him um, And therefore Did not take care Did not show enough love To her own heart and honor um, If you valued your honor You wouldn't have gone to bed with this guy um, That's what the malicious gossip would be But she has an answer to it Which is So, so or, the, or what a busybody If light were a busybody what it might say is, okay, you screwed up, but now you should be ashamed of yourself. It's morning time, you can see what you've done, Um, you should be ashamed of yourself, Um, and you should get him out the door as quickly as possible, and you should grab your stuff and take a cab home. Um, But she's not saying that, what she's saying instead. I'm just happy. I'm happy, yeah. I gave him, I know I gave him my heart and my honor. And because I do love my heart and honor, the fact that I gave him to him doesn't prove that I don't. It proves that it gives me the reason that I want him to stay rather than go. Because I do love him. And he has my honor. And that's great. That's why I want him to stay. So, I love my heart and honor so that I would not from him that had them go. So that pretty much tells you that yeah he took them that night this was the first night they slept together Uh, they're not married Um, they've slept together and um, she was happy to give him her honor but he's busy must business thee from hence remove oh that's the worst disease of love so the worst thing um, that a lover can be is busy The poor, the foul, the false. And remember, Dunn is always interested in falseness. The poor, the foul, the false, love can admit. So love accepts all of those as lovers, but not the busied man. Have people seen The Wolf of Wall Street? Well, it's probably appropriate. What? I haven't seen it. Apparently it's really interesting um, He which hath business And makes love <clears throat> Doth do such wrong As when a married man doth woo So if you knew you were going to be busy And you were just going to be hanging out with me That's as bad As wooing when you're married You're married to your business um, So Now why would Don, Besides the fact that just you know, it's a neat poem um, in the context of Dunn's poems um, where he's thinking about who's going to read them where his poems always or frequently seem to have a purpose behind them let's say a seductive purpose could this be a seductive poem of Dunn's? obviously the speaker is trying to keep the guy there but what about Dunn as the person who created this speaker? Yeah, I think... I mean, it could totally be a way,
2: knowing that he had a large female readership of not just directly saying, hey, here are good reasons to sleep with me, but like, hey, look, I can see things from your point of view, too. Isn't that sexy? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, no, I think you're
0: absolutely right. Um, No, I think you're totally right. Um, It's, I mentioned, do people know who Stuart Murdoch is? No? Stuart Murdoch? Rupert? Oh. No, Rupert, we all know. (laughs) Uh, Bell and Sebastian? Oh okay. <laughs> yeah.
3: The band? <laughs> yes. No,
0: not, not what the band is based on. Um, not the not the folk tale or whatever it is, but the band. Um other people don't know Bell and Sebastian? No, you do. He writes some really, really beautiful songs from a female point of view. Um and uh there's it's a neat thing. Um it can be a thing, um, when you do that. And yeah, no, I think you're right, Jesse. That's exactly what he's doing. Um, female speaker but if you want to motivate why he's writing a poem um, why Dunn who writes these kinds of poems is writing a poem um, from a female point of view it's basically yeah I get it is what he's saying to her Um, and I understand that guys who just like have to rush off the next day um, are not the kind of guys that um, you would want and I'm not that kind of guy, because um, <laughs> I get it. Message I get it. Um, so, um, but I think it's it is it's a beautiful poem. Um, it does display um, some <coughs> per, some capacity for perspective. Um, the um, when we get back to the Holy Sonnets. Uh, and look at a poem called Batter My Heart, Three-Person God, um, which is the poem that ends with the um, line, I am not chaste except thou ravish me. He's certainly putting himself in that context um, in the position of a woman with God as the male um, whom he wants to ravish him. Um, so this is not something he does here. But then for um, maybe a quite a nastier poem, look at the one called Love's Alchemy. Um, which is troubling, um, at the least. And uh, the question is: To this is page one thirteen. And again, the question is: This is another way that Doug feels very modern. Is um, I said, and um, to some extent, continue to say that. <coughs> Um, it's generally okay to talk about the speaker as Dunn um, because that's how, um, even though you're taught not to confuse speakers with um, the poets who created them, it can do more harm than good to try to uh, maintain um, an inflexible separation between them. Um, But there also is a way in which Dunn um, is very modern in ironizing his speakers. That is, we can never be sure... Um, that Dunn wants us to think it's Dunn who's really saying that at least in the songs and sonnets it's not quite as clear about the holy sonnets but um, certainly so in the songs and sonnets um, so yeah we only have uh, so, yeah about six minutes so let's just read it and then start it um, who wants to read it? yeah go for it Daniel. <laughs> some that have
1: deeper Dick loves mind than I say where his centric happiness doth lie, I have loved and got and told, but should I love, get, tell till I were old, I should not find that hidden mystery. O oh, tis imposture all, it has no chemic, yet the elixir got but glorifies the pregnant pot. If by the fall to him, bef- if by the way to him befall, some odiferous thing. Odoriferous odoriferous thing.
0: But you keep getting the hard words. <laughs> yeah, I'm not yeah. very good at
1: that either. So a thing, or medicinal. So lovers dream a rich and long delight, but get a winter-seeming summer's night. Our ease, our thrift, our honor, and our day. Shall we, for this vain vein bubble's shadow pay? Hands of love in this, that my man can be as happy as I can, if he can. Endure the short scorn of a br- bridegroom's play, that loving wretch that swears, does not the bodies married, but the minds, which he and her angelic finds, but swears justly that he hears, in that day's rude horse minstrelsy, uh-huh. the spheres, hope not for mind and woman at their best, sweetness and wit, they are but mummy possessed.
0: Yeah, so... <laughs> oh my god. We all agree. <laughs> Um, <laughs> that, I think that's the right response oh my god <laughs> uh, yeah so um, just so you know mummy there really means mommy
3: that's <laughs> also
0: yeah I know <laughs> plus it doesn't
1: <laughs>
0: no it means mummy um, so just notice um, what poem that we did earlier today is this a, a kind of implicit critique of he, the loving wretch that swears, does not the bodies marry, but the minds, mm-hmm. which he and her angelic finds, which oh. swears justly that he hears in that day's rude horse minstrels the spheres. Yeah. So basically those four lines, it's like, um, yeah, what a maroon um, mm-hmm. that person is who would say the kind of thing that you get in the ecstasy. Um, So that's one way that you certainly have to ironize the speakers. That is, um, so which one, Mm -hmm. if either, um, is closer to Dunn? um, Or are they both close to him but in different moods? Um, Is this a devastatingly honest portrait of how he sometimes feels? You know, um, Louis C.K. has this routine um, where he says, We all know that... Um, the routine is basically, you know, here's what we all agree with, and we all course, know it's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but, yeah. Of course, but maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, but maybe. <laughs> yeah. So we all know that love is the inter in, inter in animation of two souls, and um, that you hear the music of the spheres, and <laughs> that we are all one, and that it's all wonderful. But maybe <laughs> women are just mummies. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, actually, they someone should do a movie of Dunn's life with Louis C.K. Plank. Uh, yeah. The other, the, the, the different phrase is meat
3: puppet. Yes, right? yeah. yeah, yeah. Meat puppet, meat puppet,
0: yeah. and then comes William from William Gibson, Gibson. yeah.
3: You're all cut
0: out. Yes, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so, so that
2: the modern equivalent, sorry, to which word in this moment. The mummy. Mummy possessed. Meat puppet's worst. Sorry. I think meat,
3: meat worse.
0: puppet is the worst. Meat Puppet is the worst. Well, it's close to necrophilia in either They're case. There, yeah. I mean mummy is necrophiliac. Um, <laughs> and meat puppet is, is close enough to that. Um, well, okay, so notice that the first thing we that it's got the same kind of structure as go and catch a falling star. Um, that is, the um, just the first uh, couple of lines, some, that's who he's addressing. That is, yo, someone. Um, so it's not there are some people who have done this and they say it. The say there is the imperative. Let go and catch a falling star. Tell me where all past years are. Some, someone who has deeper digged loves mine than I, Someone who's done that, you say, where his centric happiness does lie? Because I don't know. Um, So someone who can say, who's really dug deep into love's mind, um, tell me, where does his centric happiness lie? Uh, Do you notice any um, off-color resonances in the metaphor in digging love's mind?
2: Now that you mention it. Now that I mentioned it.
0: Yeah, so from the very start The idea of um, Sex is digging deep into a mine um, Looking for something But not getting, not finding it Some that have deeper digged love's mind than I Say where eccentric happiness doth lie Because I don't know What have I done? I have loved and got So I've seen a woman and fall in love with her And then I got her And told now this isn't kiss and tell this is I've counted um, yeah exactly I've, I've put notches on my bedpost um, I have loved and got and told but should I love get tell till I were old this is tell like a bank teller that, or a teller machine it's something that counts which is the original meaning of tell um, I should not find that hidden mystery so I've had lots of sex I've fallen in love with people I've had sex with them I've dug really deep into Love's Mine over and over again, sunk many mine shafts and dug deep into them, um, and I can't find what I'm looking for in those mine shafts. Uh, We will pick up from there. Uh, I know you can hardly wait. Um, And so have a good weekend. And take it as a warning.